On the 1st of September 1939, 25-year-old Malvern resident Lorna Lloyd started writing her diary of the war. This is episode one. It is September 1939. These are today's main events. Germany has invaded Poland and has bombed many towns. General mobilisation has been ordered in Britain and France. Parliament was summoned for six o'clock this evening. Orders completing the mobilisation of the Navy, Army and Air Force were signed by the King at a meeting this afternoon of the Privy Council. Friday, September 1st, 1939. Today we learned that, as had long been feared, Hitler had put his vaunted war machine into operation by invading Poland on the trumped-up charge that Polish arrogance could no longer be endured. At 5.30am, attacks were launched without any declaration of war in three directions, in East Prussia, Silesia and the Corridor. Danzig was illegally reincorporated in the Reich. Virtually the general war which Britain and France had done everything in their power to avert had begun. I heard the news from a porter at the station. I have never seen a man look so horribly grim, for it was also known that Polish towns were being subject to indiscriminate bombing despite, as we learned afterwards, German undertakings to respect civilians and open towns. The government scheme for evacuation of schoolchildren from danger zones was put into force. Thirteen trains were expected in our area. The first came in whilst I was there. All the children were cheery and bright, looking forward to a holiday in new surroundings. One small child told mother that his parents had spent 15 shillings on a new outfit for him. The only general difference was that everybody else looked grim, but were more friendly and helpful than usual. I convoyed Auntie G and Uncle A to Hereford on their way back to Bristol. Joined the WVS. Malvern Gazette, 9th September 1939. Evacuees arrive in Malvern. Birmingham schoolchildren billeted. The first warning Malvern residents had of the expected arrival of 200 children evacuees from Birmingham was when a patrol car containing officials of the department dealing with the evacuation drove slowly through the streets of the town and asked people to prepare themselves for the young guests who would soon be in their midst. At the same time, an appeal was broadcast for blankets which were urgently required. This appeal has met with an amazing response and great tribute is paid to the members of the Women's Voluntary Service who have given invaluable help in every way. Not only have they assisted with the blanket problem, but have also put their cars at the disposal of the young Midlanders to enable them to reach their new homes in various parts of Malvern. The children arrived at Great Malvern Station at noon on Friday. There were 225 youngsters unaccompanied and 46 mothers and teachers in addition. All had come from the Almar Street School in Birmingham, Eckington Street and St. Chad's Roman Catholic. Footwear has been found for the evacuees by the churches of Malvern and many of the children have been fitted up with new items of clothing. Billeting officers were Malvern school teachers who have played a great part in the tremendous task. The distribution took place from Malvern Council School, Great Malvern Parochial School and St. Joseph's RC School. Saturday, September 2nd, 1939. Rumours of Britain's action having taken the form of an ultimatum to Germany demanding a withdrawal of her troops from Polish territory and offering to consider the situation as equal 
if conciliation was agreed to, to that before the German troops marched on Poland, continual air attacks on Polish towns and villages. No definite statement by Mr Chamberlain in the House, general uneasiness expressed by the leader of the opposition, Mr Greenwood. No reply from Germany. Daily Mirror, 2nd September 1939. Britain sends her ultimatum. Germany fights alone. Britain has sent an ultimatum to Germany, ordering her immediately to withdraw the troops which yesterday invaded Poland. The message was handed to Herr von Ribbentrop by Sir Neville Henderson, the British ambassador, at 9.40 last night. Ribbentrop said he must carry the communication to Hitler. It is probable that there will be no more messages between the two governments. At a given moment, probably sometime today, Britain will declare that a state of war exists. The ultimatum was read to a determined House of Commons last night by Mr Chamberlain, who said, If the reply to that last warning is unfavourable, and I do not suggest that it is likely to be otherwise, H.M. Ambassador in Berlin is instructed to ask for his passport. In that case, Mr Chamberlain added, We are ready. Sunday, September 3rd, 1939. We learned that Sir Neville Henderson the British ambassador in Berlin, had been instructed to call upon Joachim von Ribbentrop, German foreign minister, to ask for a reply to the British note. We were told at 10am that the time limit fixed for an answer expired at 11am, and unless Germany replied, we would be at war. An hour, I thought it had long been inevitable. It was a horrible moment. It is like the last scene of Marlowe's Dr Faustus, now, Faustus, thou hast one bare hour to live. Half the hour is past, twill all be past and on. No one had any hope that there would be any reply, for the German government had already had ample time to do so. Since the time must pass, we took refuge in whatever things we could find to do. Mother clattered crockery in the kitchen and turned out the store cupboard. I played back corrals, I suppose in the hope that there I could grasp something that was immortal and imperishable. It was what Cyrano de Bergerac would call a panache. At 11.15 the Prime Minister spoke to the nation in a voice that sounded weary and heartbroken. And at 6pm the King spoke to the Empire. France declared war at 5pm. It seems now that there is nothing more that can be said. What will be the end of it? No man knows. May God have mercy on us all. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that, consequently, this country is at war with Germany. Monday, September 4th, 1939. First blood to the Germans. With their usual clumsiness, they have continued to outrage world opinion by torpedoing the liner Athenia off the Hebrides. It was an act of useless violence, for she could not possibly have been an auxiliary cruiser or since she was outward-bound, be carrying contraband. She was fired on without warning. 
there seemed to have been very few casualties, although most of the passengers were women and children, about 800 being Americans. There will be a row about this over the other side. The German government, with its well-known inspired ingenuity, declared that she struck one of our mines, regardless of the fact that she was 250 miles out where there could be none, that she would have been warned away from any area where there were any. The Admiralty declared that no mines had been laid in that area at all. We are supposed to be trying to inflame American public opinion by lying reports of the disaster. Our best effort for the day, or rather last night, has been a reconnaissance flight over northern and western Germany by the RAF during which they dropped six million leaflets in German. Gas masks are de rigueur for wear in the democracies, carried about with great self-consciousness by about half the population. The other half resolutely leave them at home. Malvern Gazette, 18th November 1939. Care of your gas mask. Keep it safe and dry. The coming of winter and wet weather calls for some advice to be given on the care of gas masks to those who carry their gas masks about with them. It must be remembered that a gas mask can be very easily damaged by being crushed or by getting wet. It is therefore best kept in the cardboard carton that has been issued, but the carton needs to be protected against the wet. The best thing to do is to either carry the carton in a waterproof bag, haversack or satchel, or to obtain a cover for it, made of canvas or American cloth, or some similar material, such as can be bought or can be made at home at trifling cost. If no cover is used, the cardboard carton can be strengthened at the bottom joint, at the corners, and the hinge of the lid with adhesive tape. The carrying cord should be threaded outside the bottom of the carton to prevent the bottom slipping loose. In rain, the carton should be carried under the coat or Macintosh. Gas masks should not be carried unprotected in soft fabric bags. The face piece is liable to be crushed and the eye panel may easily be cracked and the gas mask is then useless. Tuesday, September 5th, 1939. Reports coming in all day about the Athenia disaster, but no estimate yet as to casualties. I'm afraid I was rather premature yesterday when I said there were only a few. The submarine was actually seen, and there is no doubt at all about the torpedoing. Added to that, she opened fire on the sinking ship. I believe that the events of the last few years, since the growth of this hydrofascism, have dulled the general sense of the horrible. We have supped full of horrors. Even the yellow press could hardly rise to superlatives. We have read almost unmoved, of the use of gas on unarmed Abyssinians, of the shelling of Durazo on Good Friday, of the prolonged martyrdom of Spain, and the terrible slaughter in China, till there is no room left even for comment. But the mind will not take it in. And perhaps one may dare to hope that doomsday is near and the world's grown honest for even Italy tries, only half-heartedly, to justify Hitler. The world is sick of bloodshed, before this bloodshedding has well begun, but it is sicker still of fascism. It may perhaps die a natural death in Italy. It will die in Germany, but its death is going to be unnatural and violent. The RAF flew over Germany again, unmolested, and dropped their visiting cards. There is an element of fantastic unreality about this war. We all seem to be living in a dream. 
We hear the wireless and we read the newspapers, but outwards, people are very much the same and life seems almost normal, so that the events going on all around us with tremendous speed seem to leave no mark on the brain. We begged two German ships. Crew all saved, of course, but lost another of our own. The Bosnia. One man killed. Already we seem to have been at war for ages. Wednesday, September 6th, 1939. It is difficult to gather how things are going, although Poland seems to be having a terrible time. There was a report that enemy aircraft had attempted to reach the East Coast, but this was afterwards denied. The papers are full of harrowing details about the Athenia, but the full list of casualties is still unknown. I feel, even now, that it is a nightmare from which I shall awake. It seems so utterly impossible. Berlin has issued a decree which I should say surpasses all for devilry. The relations of soldiers killed are to be informed, but on pain of severe penalties, they are not to tell others or wear mourning. Does Hitler dream that grief is a thing that can be state-controlled? Thursday, September 7th, 1939. We heard from Theo, which made this a gala day. He is somewhere in Lincolnshire, very short of sleep, but otherwise okay. Poland is suffering horribly. The Germans are 20 miles from Warsaw, and the casualties must be frightful. Movements on the Western Front are still obscure, an artillery duel seems to be going on between the Maginot Line and the Siegfried Line. South Africa has declared war, and all the colonies, bless them, are rallying round. But it remains a nightmare. How can we take any satisfaction in our successes when it means that innocent German women are widows and German children are fatherless? Whatever way you look at it, it's only dirty bloodshed and cattle-stealing, and how long will it be before all the fine words mean nothing and we settle down to an unthinking struggle for mastery whose only law is kill or be killed? For now God sends us busy days and dreamless nights. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lorna Lloyd's Diary of the War. Lorna Lloyd is played by Bethany Ray and the newsreader by Richard Godden. Catherine Stephen is the announcer. The War Diary was written by Lorna Lloyd. Additional radio news broadcast material was supplied by the BBC Archive, copyright BBC. Print news was sourced from the British Newspaper Archive, with thanks to the British Library and Find My Past, and from back issues of the Malvern Gazette, held at Malvern Library. The theme tune is an extract from César Franck's Symphony in D minor, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Richard Hickox on the 5th of September 2003, and also kindly made available by the BBC Archive. This podcast episode was brought to you by staff and students of the School of Computing at Edinburgh Napier University. It was produced by third-year students Alex Genks, David Graham, James McLaughlin, Andrash Peter and Michael Sutty under the supervision of Ian McGregor. The podcast was directed by Bruce Ryan with the assistance of Hazel Hall. The UK Arts and Humanities Research Council funded this work through the Creative Informatics Programme. Find out more about Lorna Lloyd and Wartime in Malvern at www.malvernmuseum.co.uk and in the next episode of The Diary of the War.